Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm your host, Shobana Zavian. In each new episode, we have an author of a new book in Islamic Studies, and we engage with them. In today's episode, we are joined by Harold Morales. Harold Morales, an associate professor of religion at Morgan State University, is the author of Latino and Muslim in America, Race, Religion, and the Making of a New Minority, Morales provides one of the first monograph studies on Latino Muslims in America through the use of rich ethnographic details of various Latino Muslim communities, groups, and individuals situated in the context of post-9-11 hyper-racialized experiences. Morales carefully lays out his interlocutors' powerful journeys of revision to Islam and how they form historical and cultural continuities, but also transformations such as through evoking Islamic Spain, or Al-Andalus, or food cultures. With its intersection of race, ethnicity, religion, and media studies, Morales has made a formidable contribution to the study of Islam in America, but also broadly on American religious experiences. Now, without delay, here's my conversation with Harold Morales. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a tradition in New Books and Islamic Studies podcast to ask our guests to share something of their journey and what led to the writing of the book. And I wondered if you could do that for us today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess my, my journey started with my grandparents. My grandmother was a missionary in Guatemala and my grandfather was a church planter in Guatemala, both for the Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal um, Christian denomination. And they were deeply religious, came to the United States um, sponsor, spot with their visa sponsored um, by a missionary that lived here. Um, and then there was a big earthquake in Guatemala. My parents came over. Uh, they had my older brother at the time, was like six or seven months old. And so they came and made their, their life here in the United States. But much of their connection back to their culture and heritage was at church. So they started going to churches here. Um, and for me, growing up, religion was a, a, a deeply intertwined aspect of my life with both um, religion, spirituality, and my ethnic um, and cultural life. So at church is where we spoke Spanish. It's where um, we ate uh, popusas and platanos fritos. Um, it's where I went by um, Daniel, Danielito. Um, and at school, it was always Harold. And so I had kind of like this split world that I navigated uh, and I was very interested in unpacking that and better understanding those histories um, and those the ways that race, eth- ethnicity, and religion intertwine when I went to graduate school. Um, and so my focus was going to be on Latinx religions. Um, and while doing so, I was also very interested in looking at the way that new media technologies were impacting religion um, and religious practices and religious organizations. Uh, and so I started looking at the role of new media technologies on the development of Latinx religious groups and organizations. Uh, and while doing that research, I came across 
uh, a, a group of Latino Muslims, as they identify, um, who were operating almost exclusively through um, internet technologies, websites, social media, and so forth. And so I became very fascinated. And as I started to dig a little bit deeper, found out that there wasn't much research done in that area. Uh, and with the um, advice of my advisors and with the support from various Latin, Latino Muslim communities, um, I proceeded with the work and it's been extremely rewarding, um, illuminating, and I, I'm excited to share some of the findings with you all today. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wonder really when I was actually when I was reading the book, I was thinking about your positionality and the way that you were navigating, because a lot of the work was ethnographic. You were engaging with people, um, meeting people, even though some was also on the media. I wonder if there were moments where your multiple identities, some of which you've just talked about, um, were, you know, um, as you navigated as an insider and outsider, either ethnically or racially, religiously, um, if that was at all uh, a difficult process for you or what the broader methodological process was in terms of gathering data? Um, it was definitely um, difficult at first. And um, I read about experiencing a kind of vertigo while, while being in these communities because so much of it was indeed familiar. Um, and then at the same time, there was so much that I was unfamiliar with and that was new to me. When I first came to the Latino uh, Muslim Association in Los Angeles, um, I felt very welcomed. Um, I felt also like there was pan dulce, these sweetbreads um, from Mexico and Guatemala that they had, and um, they had coffee. And so we were all just hanging out and drinking coffee and eating sweetbread. And, and that was very familiar, very similar to what we would do um, uh, at the churches that I grew up in. And um, there was a strong matriarchal component to the um, organization, again, also very similar to my experiences growing up. So a lot of my Sunday school teachers um, were women. And likewise, in this organization, a lot of the leaders um, were women. Um, There was like this close analysis and study of reading of and study of the of the text of the sacred text, the Quran, um, which I could jump into and and do um, very similar things because of my experiences. Um, so there was a lot that was very familiar and and they were very welcoming, even though I wasn't a Muslim, um, because they were all speaking Spanish and I was speaking Spanish and we had similar um, experiences and there's a lot that we could discuss. So in one respect, um, I found a lot of things familiar and I was welcome as an insider. But on the other hand, there were there's always been this kind of disconnect between um, me as a researcher, positions me as an outsider from within the religious community um, and, and also my unfamiliarity, um, at the start with a lot of, um, particularities of the tradition. Um, so like the, the communal prayers, um, was something that I experienced myself as a very unique and powerful experience, um, but that I needed work at, um, learning, interpreting, and being able to discuss and conveying those kinds of experiences that I was not familiar with. Um, so at the end, it it was, um, a very, rewarding experience but at the very beginning it was um it was difficult trying to figure out um where the lines were um where i felt comfortable and where they felt comfortable um discussing things and sharing certain kinds of practices and and so forth um and it was a a relationship building process um and it it the work i mean i've been working with lalma um for over 10 years at this point and it's an ongoing relationship and i'm still in communication with a lot of the people and when I talk to them, one of the first things they'll ask me is, have I taken my shahada yet? Have I become a Muslim yet? 
Um, and my response is always kind of like, no, not yet. So I'm always like kind of open to the possibility, um, though it's not something that I'm interested in, but because this is an interest of theirs, right? So um, as a researcher uh, within the lived religions approach, I've, I've tried to stay as open um, as possible and approach um, the individuals in these communities uh, as, as my teachers, as my guides in the process, rather than as, as subjects or objects of inquiry. Thank you for sharing some of that field or process, because it is quite intense when you go into that, you know, that moment and the difficulties of the day to day, especially when you're trying to capture liberal uh, religions. And it's really at the end of the day, as you say, relationships, right? It's relationship building. Um, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we could get into some of the um, details. Um, and I wanted to start off really by talking about, um, at, we're asking you about the idea of Latino Muslims. Um, I know in your introduction, you spent some time talking about even how the use of Latino Muslims is uh, problematic or there's limitations to it. Um, and I wonder if you could share that with us and maybe why you use Latino instead of, as you just mentioned earlier, Latinx, um, as some uh, theories are going towards. So it's, um, was it because your interlocutors were utilizing that terminology or uh, there were other reasons? Right, right. So um, as I was mentioning, uh, the work developed as a relationship between um, several individuals, organizations, communities, and myself. Um, and so, so as an example, um, I was very interested in um, doing an analysis of the media productions and looking at issues regarding identity formation and so forth. Um, that's where I came at the, at the um, project initially. And a lot of the members in the community um, expressed disinterest in that kind of work and asked what they really wanted was a history of the organization. Um, and so I thought that the best way to proceed is to have a little bit of, of um, both of our interests in it. Um, and so I took as much as possible their input um, another good example is um, where, where I wanted to start the story um, with the Alianza Islamica in New York in the 1970s. Um, one individual that I talked to said, well, the story doesn't start there. It starts in Al-Andalus. Um, but hundreds of years before that, um, when Muslims lived in Spain and started to influence Spanish culture, which then influences um, culture and, and religion in, the, um, in, the, in Latin America, and then in, in the Latinx communities. So as much as possible, I tried to um, incorporate the ideas and beliefs and histories as they shared them. And the, the term that was most used to uh, self-identify was Latino Muslim. Um, and there were internal conversations, not about the X, and I tried to um, introduce the word uh, with as many people as, as I could um, and pointing out gender inequalities um, and, and also... Um, other important issues in terms of intersectionality, um, non-gender identifying individuals. And sometimes people would be open and receptive to that kind of conversation. Um, but most often uh, people would just resort, resort back to the, the Latino Muslim. So more of the internal conversations that happened were around whether they should be um, called Hispanic Muslims or whether they should be called um, Muslim Latinos. Uh, so giving the religious component um, more significance or more priority than the ethnic um, identity. Um, and a lot of people actually argued for dropping the Latino component altogether um, and just being referred to as Muslims or um, referring to themselves as Muslim. Um, and so there were internal conversations, but the, over, um, the overwhelming majority of the people that I spoke to identified as Latino Muslim, and that's the reason why I chose to um, proceed um, in 
in, in that fashion um, to, to re- kind of reflect and respect their, their agency and their decision in that regard. And I want to go back to, um, you just mentioned Al-Andalus, um, and your book is really kind of structured around these three broader historical waves. Um, did you want to situate those waves for us? Maybe we could get into some of the ones, especially the ones that focus on um, media and you get into hip hop, food culture, um, and various aspects. So what were the kind of the three broader waves that you're situating for your readers and why did you choose those waves? Right. Maybe because your interlocutors were um, utilizing them as well? Yeah, so um, so th- there was definitely um, discussions about eras or generations um, so that like the first people would um, speak of a, a first generation, subsequent generations, um, the latest generation um, or eras in terms of organizations coming into and out of existence. Um, and I chose to, to describe um, the movements, these historical shifts in terms of waves, uh, both in light of um, some of the conversations that I was having, but also in terms of some of the things that I was seeing um, regarding changes in organizational structures, visions, missions, um, activities, and so forth. Um, and so the first wave I situate it's um, there are Latino Muslim communities in the East Coast, mostly in New York, most comprised of mostly Puerto Rican Muslims, um, and that a lot of their work is coming out of um, folks who had been working in the civil rights moment um, in in a lot of different um, activist capacities and providing social services, and when they embrace Islam, um, seeking to do that with broader Muslim um, communities. But not, not finding that their um, Latino uh, identity and their Spanish language is being um, is being welcomed, and and sometimes they find that they were discriminated against um, for that precise reason, and often we're told not to use Spanish at the mosque um, or at the organizational meetings, um, to not dress uh, in in whatever um, dress styles that they were donning, the particular different instances of that. Um, and we're encouraged to dress as the rest of the group dressed instead. Um, some, so uh, oftentimes donning different particular ethnic uh, immigrant um, uh, um, garb from, from different places. And when doing so, they increasingly felt alienated, um, or th- at least that their heritage that they grew up in was alienated, um, and eventually decided, so the, the sort of crux of the, the um, impetus for a lot of this uh, organizational structures initially for the first wave at least was a response to that alienation that they were feeling amongst broader Muslim communities um, and wanting to create a space of their own um, and initially uh, and and for a while um, and this still happens sometimes today being accused of um, fostering divisions within the community the Muslim community the Ummah um, and that uh, they should not exist as a separate ethnic um, group but that they should instead just uh, try to inspire and, and bring about um, cohesion amongst the, the broader U.S. and global Muslim community. And so it is because of these critiques um, and because of um, the alienation they experienced that I, um, I find that they, they started drawing on particular kinds of narratives to develop their, their identity as a distinct group. Um, and so especially the, the, the narrative that connects them to the history of Al-Andalus um, so one way of saying that their Latino um, culture and herit- heritage um, need not be ostracized, eliminated um, from their Muslim communities 
um, they argue, was that Latino culture is steeped within Muslim um, heritage and practices, uh, that for a long time, again, um, Muslims were in, in what is now Spain, what was then known as Al-Andalus, um, and that they influenced the language, um, the, the cuisine, the art, the architecture, the way of life, family structures, and so forth. And so that um, Latino culture, they would argue, is very much, again, um, influenced by and part of Muslim. And so that rather than looking at um, the incompatibilities between them, um, they, they believe that looking at this history and this historical connection would help both Muslim communities um, and Lat- um, Latinx communities uh, understand that there is more in common than, than they initially believed. Um, and so this first wave was is develops out of this moment of, of desire to connect with broader groups, but also an experience of alienation and a response to that alienation by developing um, that, that strong narrative component. Um, so then the second wave proceeds uh, a little bit differently, whereas the first wave um, was dealing largely with these issues um, and st- providing social services for communities, AIDS awareness, um, providing GED programs, brokering truces, um, and this is mostly situated again in New York. Um, the second wave expands across different locations in the United States and on the web with the advent of internet technologies. Um, and the focus ceases to be so much on um, social services and providing these services for their communities, um, but instead on religious education. Um, so learning the Quran, um, learning the practices, uh, and it, the organizations tend uh, at this point um, from the 90s on to focus on um, kind of like Sunday school uh, and usually still held on Sundays um, where, where people are learning about the different teachings within the Quran, the Hadith, the stories of the prophets, um, the sayings and deeds of the prophet, um, and learning about different rituals and, and how to bury people and what is permissible and what is not permissible um, and a lot of these kinds of conversations uh, rather than focusing on, on um, social service or activism. Uh, the third wave, the, um, the final wave that I look at I'm not sure if, if it is a third wave, but it's, um, I see the seeds of a potential um, return and reimagining um, and redeveloping in new ways of the first wave, uh, where, where there are a lot of um, Latino Muslim leaders now that are uh, very well educated within the tradition, but are also seeing a need to respond to the moment, the historical moment right now, where there's increasing xenophobia against Muslims. Um, and wanting to respond to this historical moment um, by becoming more active in politics, um, local and um, and at the at the national level as well, um, wanting to raise awareness, but also wanting to address issues that um, rather than just wait for the government to step in and try to fix things, trying to address issues themselves at a grassroots level. Um, and so, I know Lalma, the Los Angeles Latino Muslim Association, has recently been involved in. Um, canvassing, getting people to sign up for um, for voting, um, teaching people how to uh, take their DMV um, uh, written exam so they can get a license and, and drive around, teaching people about their rights if they're not documented. Um, and so again, trying to provide services, um, but in, in a very new historical moment in new ways than, than had been done in the first wave. Um, and I'm not sure, again, how... Um, 
how much of this will develop across all of the Latino Muslim organizations in the United States. Um, there's been attempts to try to create one umbrella organization for a while. Um, and and it, there's a, a, a more recent attempt and we'll see if, if it's successful or not. Um, but this also kind of links back up to an initial question that you brought up regarding uh, my relationship with the work. It's mostly ethnographic, um, and yet there's there's um, interest. So if I did indeed build a relationship, um, it's been an interesting sort of um, process for me to try to develop like where, where do I um, put that line between researcher and community member, right? So as a Latino, um, a Latinx myself, um, in some ways I identify with the group um, and in other ways I disagree. And, um, and part of the book, the challenge was trying not to insert myself um, too much. But yet I, I, when I look back at it, I see that I'm in certain places speaking directly to specific people in the community. And in other places, I'm trying to like step back and just um, describe what's going on and, and try to analyze the context and so forth. Um, but those are the waves that I see. Um, I think it. I think Latino Muslims play a, a very important role in broader national conversations around race and religion. Um, it's especially at this moment. Absolutely, and I really want to kind of pick up on the last comment that you made. Um, one of the interesting things that I. Um, there's so many aspects of this book which are really um, fantastic and insightful and very necessary, I think, for our moment in time. Um, but it was also interesting to think about um, kind of the development or the history of um, African-American Islam, right? And then also thinking it in lines where there were some similarities, some differences that I was noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, and has there been, um, and you do allude to it sometimes in your book uh, in terms of, you know, how they've um, they network together or how maybe the civil rights movements broadly or personalities have impacted certain figures um, within the Latino Muslim community as well. Um, was that something that uh, came up a lot? And I, I think I'm thinking broadly also about hip hop, right? Um, your your top drawn hip hop and yeah. clash of civilizations is really kind of bringing us to this moment of media and how the Latino Muslim community is responding in very um, um in a difficult time, but also responding in different ways, right? Um, so I know that's a lot that I just said, but I wonder if you wanted to pick up from there um, or any any particular aspect, maybe even the media component. Yeah, well, well, to, to go back um, regarding the um, the connections between Latinx and, and Black communities, uh, Muslim communities. Um, so definitely, initially, um, in, in the first wave with the Alancia Islamica, many of the members identified as... Um, Afro-Latino, um, or is both mm. Black um, and and Latino, um, and so it, when when um, many of the members first um, decided to embrace Islam, um, some some embraced with the Nation of Islam, um, some with um, Ahmadiyya movements, with Five Percenter um, groups, uh, with um, with uh, different black Muslim communities and organizations that had been involved with civil rights movement. Um, and it was inside of these communities, some of these communities um, that uh, several individuals felt like they, that their um, Latinidad, their Latino ways of being were not being appreciated. Um, so there's an interesting sort of um, relationship initially, uh, both, both this self-identifying as both and neither 
um, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and still to this day, there are individuals who struggle with this. Um, and so both if, if you're um, trying to navigate in predominantly Black communities as an Afro-Latino, that your Latinidad may not be appreciated um, as much as, as, as if you were in a Lat- um, Latinx community. But then vice versa, if you're, if you're spending most of your time, um, these individuals will relate in Latinx communities that their, um, their Afro or Black identity uh, becomes an issue as well. Um, and so there are tensions, um, not always, but sometimes um, between those lines. And so how, how um, individuals will navigate this is, um, is still a very complex um, and difficult issue for, for a lot of individuals. Um, in terms of uh, hip hop, there's a chapter where I look at Hamza Perez's work um, and, and there's a film in particular, New Muslim Cool, that I look at that follows his life. So Hamza Perez, um, he, he embraces Islam and one of his early religious mentors encourages him to continue with his music, with his hip hop, um, and tells him that it could be a form of dawah. Um, and so rather than music, though, at that point, he starts referring to it as protest poetry. Um, uh, and again, as a form of dawah, a way of, of reaching out, of, of teaching other people about Islam and inviting them to Islam. Um, and so in the film, it follows uh, his, his process as he's developing a lot of this protest poetry, um, sharing it with others, but also as he's connecting more with um, Black Muslim communities and um, so, so he's both in the music industry, but also in his personal life, um, in his marriage, um, is increasingly trying to figure out um, what are the points of connections and what are the things that he needs to learn um, as he tries to build a, um, a family and a community around these um, different ethnic and racial groups. Um, and so it does become um, an interesting way in which people live out their lives um, making it difficult for uh, academics, researchers, um, and people that want to create and, and work with these theoretical concepts and levels um, that aren't, aren't always as clean as we would like, and they end up being very messy, right? So, so um, in the film, there's this one scene that I love uh, where there's an MC that's introducing Hamza Perez and his brother Suleiman, the, the M team, the Mujahideen team, and is introducing them, and he says, you're Puerto Rican, you're Muslim, you're a hip-hop artist, you're a father, you um, work in, 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 as a chaplain. So he's just describing all these intersecting identities that we don't usually think of as coinciding in one individual. Um, and that's exactly what's going on with Hamza, right? And that's exactly what's going on with all of us, that we're not just one individual. We don't just identify with one particularity, but that it's complex and oftentimes surprising. And that's, that is humanity, right? It is, it is a surprising um, sort of existence and, and way of being. And really, um, I think that gives us a nice segue into the broader kind of issue that you're raising in terms of religious studies for scholars, for religious studies students, is the, you know, the importance of thinking about race and ethnicity in the study of religion, not only in the context of, let's say, Latino Muslims or Black Muslims, but for everybody, right? Um, um, and what what those dynamics are, the messiness of that yeah. is, right? Um, the fluidity. Um, and so why is that so important to, to remember? And particularly in, I guess, in the political climate right now, um, unearthing these complexities, um, embracing kind of the messiness of yeah. it all. 
Yeah, I mean, so like, I guess labels are, are helpful to a certain extent, um, but then the the experience itself reveals that there's there's more to it, and so I think that's the importance of it. Um, whether whether the the label is a positive or negative one, it flattens a lot of the um, the reality that is so much more complex and rich. Uh, and so if we have um, a la- so there, there's um, this program that came out on um, Univision. And it was looking at um, Telemundo, excuse me, uh, los hispanos detrás del velo, the um, Hispanics behind the veil is the the translation of the of the program, and it was a, um, a miniseries news program looking at Latino Muslims and their stories. And the very first scene that they have that's opening up um, describes Latinos and Muslims like day and night. Right, that there's these stark contrasts between the two. And they try to characterize what these differences are. And they say Latinos, right? And they have a series of images and words to describe Latinos that include things like dancing, drinking, eating pork, the par- like party, sensual, um, and, and, and all these things. And then they say, and then Muslims. And then all of a sudden they're in the mosque um, and they're praying and they're very solemn and respectful and serious. And so you have these images um, that are supposed to kind of exemplify what each of the categories are, Latino and Muslim, that are, again, like like day and night, like the sun and the moon, stark contrasts. Um, and so to whatever extent these labels help us to better understand things, oftentimes um, they also serve to flatten realities, to create these stereotypes that may or may not be true. Um, and even if they are true, they're true in like superficial ways. Uh, and so they might be conversation starters, um, but again, uh, they, it, it requires a lot more um, relationship building, um, deeper analysis. And so in terms of religious studies scholarship, um, we need, so for me, um, my qualifying exams were all in Latinx religions. Um, and, and then my subject, um, the, the, my subject of inquiry, the, um, the communities that I was going to work with required me to to um, look at other aspects. Um, and so it doesn't matter how much research we do and how much preparation we do, um, when we start talking to people, we're going to be surprised and we need to be open to that surprise. We need to be open to the unexpected um, and to incorporate it and not to, to try to stay fast in whatever our expectations were and, and, and force um, the, the, the subjects and the individuals that we're working to become what we expected them to be, right? So we have to be flexible, fluid, open, um, and and um, continue to learn, not position ourselves. Sorry, and not position ourselves in these um, places of authority as if we're we're the experts and and um, and we know more about these individuals than they know about themselves. So I think that's um, that humility is an important component of the work as well. Yeah. Um- and I do want to get into, you know, some of the voices, um, the voices that carry the, your book, um, uh, be it the different organizations such as Alanza and, you know, kind of the narratives of what was, I know throughout the process, um, you talk about reversion as opposed to conversion. You know, what was the process for some of your interlocutors for perhaps wanting to revert to the tradition of Islam? Um, and be it, you know, men or women, how are the experiences of women different um, than for males? What are the challenges that they've gone through? Yeah. 
Yeah, so with the Alianza, um, I had I had the honor to um, work with Yaya Figueroa and Rahim Ocasio, um, who were two of the three co-founders, the surviving um, co-founders, um, along with Ibrahim Gonzalez, who um, passed away a few years ago. Um, and they're incredible individuals who are, every time I talk to them, still very um, energized and, and looking for social justice and wanting to um, continue the work that they started um, back in the in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, again, very, very close to the ground, grassroots oriented. Um, and they have amazing stories. So like Yaya um, had, had connected with the Young Lords, um, was very instrumental in brokering truces between different gangs, um, and uh, very int- very knowledgeable of Islamic law and history, um, and is very um, committed to trying to work with younger people, younger Latino Muslims, um, and try to to get them to look at um, scholars from Muslim scholars from Spain and not just from Egypt or um, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, um, and some of these traditional um, madhabs, um, schools, schools of, of Islamic teachings, uh, and so wanting to help younger Latino Muslims uh, figure out their own way of doing Islam or Islamidad. Um, but uh, Ibrahim, who passed away, is a very musical character, very, um, very fluid in his identities, um, very, very much attracted to the spirituality. Um, all three of them were attracted to the social justice component that they found in, in Islam, um, the way that they engaged and were introduced to it. Um, but Yaga was, again, very interested in the um, social service and activism. Um, and Ibrahim was very much um, interested in, in the spirituality of it. Um, and not to say that the others weren't, but um, there was this very, very, very... Um, artistic and poetic um, attraction of his to Islam in that way. And Rahim is just um, a scholar. Uh, It's prolific in in writing um, these these essays uh, for for popular audiences and putting together a lot of the the more scholarly literature um, in the Alianza newspapers. And now, um, more recently, the Alianza has, they've put they've tried to come back, they've put together a blog and both Yaya and um, Rahim are, are writing again for that. Um, in, in Los Angeles, my first, uh, person that I, that I worked with was, um, Martha Galadari, who was a co-founder of LALMA, the Los Angeles Latino Muslim Association. And, um, she, she learned about Islam while she was studying English. She's from Mexico. Her sister was a nun. Um, and she, she talks about remembering people wearing hijabs or veils, um, in Mexico when people would go to, to, to mass on Sundays, um, and so she's like, there's that point of connection as well. Um, and very, very religious upbringing. But she, she was first introduced to Islam while she was learning English in England. And there was a group of um, Muslim men who, unlike everybody else, she, the way she relates it, um, everybody else was kind of disrespectful um, it, to, towards her as a woman. And that these individuals treated her differently. And, um, and she, she, that was like a first impression um, that she thought like, oh, the, these, these men are very respectful toward me um, and they're Muslim and there must be a connection. Uh, and they, um, she stayed in contact with them beyond the course. 
and they they told um, taught her a few phrases in Arabic like inshallah um, and the bismillah um, invocation and um, and in um, invoking for God's help and um, and presence and she said she when she came back um, she started experiencing some difficulties some personal difficulties and she started repeating these Arabic phrases and. She, um, she says that they brought her a lot of comfort during these difficult times and that to this day she is um, convinced that they are powerful words. And so like she'll even tell me like when, when I uh, was interviewing for, for my current position, just don't forget, don't forget to, to say the, the phrases, right? Um, to your bismillahs and, and if you get it, um, you know, like don't forget to, to, to tell God. So she's convinced that these words have power these phrases of power. And because of that power, she decided to look more into it, um, more into the religion. And she started to talk to more people about it and eventually decided to take her shahada and, and become a Muslim um, to embrace Islam. Um, and then increasingly she found her and, and other folks as well, other women started to connect and find out that, um, that as women, they they were sometimes asked by their um, by their partners by their husbands who were raised as Muslims to um, to adopt the religion or were encouraged to adopt the religion um, in in interesting ways ways that Martha now is con- is convinced and, and teaches that um, exceed the um, the requirements of the religion and move into the boundary of culture. Um, and so for her, she sees a very clear division between religion and culture, um, and that oftentimes um, marriages uh, exploit a lack of understanding in that regard and try to um, convince women to start cooking a certain way, wearing clothes a certain way, um, speaking a certain way, uh, organizing the household a certain way, um, and that this is part of the religion Um and Martha will say, no, it's, it's not. That's culture. You don't need to adopt that. Um, if you become a Muslim, if you decide on your own to become a Muslim, those aren't things that you need to adopt. Um, and so, like, she'll say phrases like, I'm still a Latina, I still eat tortillas, I still cook tortillas, um, and I'm still a Muslim as well. Like, there's there's a compatibility between the two. There, you don't need to give up um, your Latinidad when you become a Muslim. Um, and so she's um, found many, many women who do experience that kind of um, um, lack of understanding or misunderstanding, um, what she understands is a misunderstanding, and and started the organization both to um, learn more about the Quran, but also to to teach um, uh, individuals about the differences between religion and culture. And um, and there was another organization, Piedad, that had similar goals as well um, to kind of reach out to to women. Um, who are embracing Islam specifically um, and try to help them navigate it um, and help with issues regarding like domestic violence and regarding um, uh, sort of patriarchal relationships, teaching them what, um, trying to teach them what um, they believed were the rights of women in Islam. Um, And so again, trying to empower them in these ways. Um, And so, um, yeah, and, and there's more recent um, uh, people as well. So Lalma Cesar um, is is uh, gotten his um, chaplaincy degree, and so he uh, did not go overseas to um, get his religious education, and did so here. Um, 
in a, um, in Claremont, I believe. And um, so now he's uh, sponsoring the the community in Los Angeles. The the community is usually, in the, especially in the second wave, have operated largely in borrowed spaces, have met in borrowed spaces, um, and have had to navigate things regarding um, what what the people who control those borrowed spaces believe Islam is, how it should be practiced, what the role of women should or should not be. Um, and one way that they've navigated that is by having a scholar, a male scholar, sponsor the organization. Um, and so... Um, they have exercised their agency and autonomy by selecting which scholars they believe align best with what they um, would like to practice and, and believe. Um, and this allows them, so by having a male scholar that's recognized by the, the broader institution that they're borrowing spaces from, allows them to have some autonomy. Um, but now with, with Cesar, um, who has been with the community for a long time, whose education was um, supported by the, by the LALMA organization itself, um, is now um, able to act as a sponsoring sort of scholar. Um, a very, very interesting sort of um, developments are, are, are um, in the horizon for LALMA and others as well. Um, I was curious if there are organizations, um, uh, Latino Muslim organizations, that focus particularly on LGBTQ identities or um, individuals. I know it wasn't touched on in the book, but if there are um, organizations like that that exist. Um, there are individuals who, um, who will blog about it. Um, and um, the organizationally, though, it's still uh, kind of a taboo subject I've found in, a, in the conversations that I've tried to raise. Um, it, it, um, the conversations um, don't go very far. So I think that's something where the community definitely needs to have more discussion around. So that a lot of it has just been around um, race and gender. Uh, and I think moving forward, there, there absolutely need to be more conversations about um, the LGBTQIA issues um, and their own community members who may identify as such. I wonder if I could ask what you're working on now in terms of your next project and what we can expect from you in the future. Um, I've got ongoing projects. Uh, so there's, there's, um, some graduate students that I've, um, I've been talking to in terms of their work and, and giving them whatever, um, assistance I can, um, with their work on, um, uh, Latino Muslims or Latinx uh, Muslims. And there's definitely a lot of interesting work going on in Latin America. Um, so Camila Pastor is doing some fantastic research on, um, uh, Muslims in uh, Mexico. Um, there are people who are working on communities in Brazil and Argentina. Um, and so a lot of exciting things. And I, I um, try to stay connected with that research as, as much as possible. Um, I do presentations and um, there's a, a, a blog article that I wrote that I uh, would like to turn into an article at some point on um, Mayan Muslims in Chiapas, um, Mexico. At, um, but other than those projects and and continuing to stay in, in touch with um, a lot of my the, the my guides throughout this process, um, my research is currently focusing on religion in cities. Um, we're starting a new center here at uh, Morgan State University. Um, you can find more information at religionandcities.org. Um, 
in in that vein, my um, my personal research will look at murals um, in the city of Baltimore, uh, religious or spiritual murals in the city of Baltimore, and how they connect to issues of race and justice. That sounds fantastic, and I, I look forward to future work. And I want to congratulate you again on a fantastic book. Um, I was I very much enjoyed reading it, and also speaking with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>